Now, Katrina, I'm counting you to help me today. Because this world is built for conflict. This world is built for chaos. In Genesis chapter 1, there was chaos until the Spirit of God and the Word of God met. Come on, somebody. I know what I'm talking about. There was nothing but chaos. But the Spirit was hovering over the waters. But when God spoke the Word of God and the Word of God met the Spirit of God, then all of a sudden, everything that seemed out of portion, out of life, out of this world, came into being in existence and had order. So what was in disorder became to order because the Spirit of God and the Word of God met. Now, I just want to tell you, in this two-week little podunk series we will do, because, you know, we pinto beans and cornbread, so I can use the word podunk. It's about taking the mask off. And I think maybe this sermon, obviously all the sermons are more for me than anybody else, but I'll say this. I know this as a pastor. My mentor, Dr. McKinnon, is here. A lot of you know this. In leadership, and whenever you're leading people, all you are leading discipleship groups, when you lead others, it will hit you first before it hits somebody else. If you have a family, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. The chaos will begin to hit you before it hits somebody else. But I want you to know something today, that when the Spirit of God meets the Word of God, something comes to right. And so, I'm going to take my mask off. Because you see, I don't want us to walk out of here today worrying about sin. And I don't want us to walk out of here today worrying about, well, this is a people what we're against. We need to proclaim who we are for. And I just want you to know today, as all of us are imperfect people trying to be perfect, none of us will be perfect. That's why there's only one name that's above every name. There's only one name that's above every illness. There's only one name that's above every chaos. There's only one name that's above every salary deficit. There's only one name that's above the word lonely. There's only one name that's above the word my family's dysfunctional. There's only one name that's above every grave. There's only one name and his name is Jesus. And I know you know it. And so I'm telling you today, something, God wants to do something because I have been so attacked. So I take my mask off. I know that I don't have the Summit Nation shirt on today. I'm a little disproportionate. I wore this because of the fun line. Trust me, it wasn't fun. <laughs> I think that is a cuss word. Fun run. It's worse than an oxymoron. It is from the pit of hell. <laughs> but I told the people that I'm with I'd wear it today. By the way, I'm just wearing the same cords I wore last night. Don't judge me through a wash. Guys, I'm sorry, I broke every man code because until it smells, well, we got, you know, Cologne, we can make that thing work. <laughs> Ladies, don't judge us, we're, we're just bad. But my point being is this I take my mask off because this. Here's my mask. This guy come on. I am the most impatient person you have ever met. I'll prove it to you. When the word hungry, In delay, when the word hungry and the word delay come together, it forms a new word called hangry. Some of you can relate. Snickers.
gets it right. I love that commercial because it's me. You, you give a little sugar in you, whoo, changes the world. If I was a teacher, and, and I'm not a good one, and my class was going crazy, or acting out, or not motivated, about 40 minutes before the bell, every kid in there would get the highest content of sugar I could find. <laughs> and they would be so amped up right when I released them, that I released them right into somebody else's presence, and I would go, I feel better about myself right now. I mean, I, listen, I want to say that I am impatient, and it's producing anger in me. You saw it yesterday, didn't you? It's produced, listen, I am getting more frustrated faster than I've ever been in my life. And you know what I've noticed? So I gotta look back, I gotta say, listen, I don't want to manage sin. I don't want to manage sin in my life. I want sin to be defeated in my life. And the only way for sin to be defeated is to have more than one who's the victim. And so my mask is off. Because I look at that, and I love that. That's why I keep showing that video until we get it. We live in a world that's meant to be chaos. Eric, not, uh, if he were a believer, he'd be out to get his, and you'd be out to get yours, and Jake, you'd be out to get yours, and you'd be out to get yours. We're built to go in the direction at each other. Genesis 3, right? The woman wants to rule over the man. We are built because of sin to go each other against each other. But we don't live by the book of the world. We live by the book of life. And so we got Jesus in this. So I, I, I'm telling you, I, I look at this and I say, okay, God, mask off, mask off. Why do we wear masks in Halloween? Because they would sit up there in a little druid world and they put masks on to hide from the evil spirits and build fire. And all of a sudden in the 40s, Halloween becomes this little thing in America that's just kind of taken off. But I thought, what a great metaphor. We can take off the mask today so we don't need to wear a mask on October 31st. So Jesus is the overcome of everything. And only Jesus can overcome anything that we're going through. In other words, being a Christian is a place of overcoming. Then the Lord showed me this, and this is the point. It's on some church baseball. That victory that we sing about, John 1, it's amazing. When I love when we don't talk to the worship team. I, they don't like it, but I like it because every time they're sitting there reading scripture, I'm like, oh, that goes right along with the sermon. Oop, they pray that right along. It's just amazing that sometimes God can plan better than I can. But here's the point. Victory in Jesus is a pilgrimage before its place. That was pretty good. Victory in Jesus is a pilgrimage before it's a place. What I mean by place is I mean the fullness of God. You can call it heaven. You can call it eternal life. But there's a, there is a place where we are in the fullness of God. But before we get into the fullness of God, it is a pilgrimage. It is, it is a place that we've got to, and to get to. But the only way to get to that fullness is there's some things that we've got to go through. That's why this pilgrimage, the Bible has a word for it, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Run in such a way that you may get the what, saints? The prize. 
The, you run, First Corinthians 9, 3, 4. We run in such a way to get the prize. Listen, here's what happens. So people that are not discipled well or people that are not believers think, oh, so I've got to run. I've got to run this life with as minimal sin as possible. And then and only then will I get in to the presence of God called eternal life. I just want to tell you something, that we already have the presence of God with us, but one day we will have the full presence, and what he means running to get the prize, the prize isn't to win eternal life. The prize is we get all of God, the whole trinity. So we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, but we have called the Spirit of Christ, but we have the Word of God that's living. And if the Word of God is living, and the Word of God is Jesus Christ, as Eden read John 1, which we did not plan today. You know, we're not up here trying to plan a worship. We're trying to let the Holy Spirit lead the worship. And so what happens is, the Word of God is a name for who in John 1? Who is it, saints? I didn't hear you. Who is it? So when when these words are spoken, that's why the law and the prophets testify about Jesus, Jesus said. So when the word of God is spoken, it means the spirit of God, something happens. And it takes us in our pilgrimage to one day be in the fullness of God because the spirit of God is driving us to be more like Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is driving us more into the presence of Jesus Christ, who will lead us to the Father, where Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through him. He is the gate. He is the gatekeeper. He is the doorway. We can only get to him. But there's a pilgrimage. There is a place where we are now as we're going through. And I just want to tell you something. That's why none of us are perfect, and more of us, more of us in this room want to be more like Christ every day. Why? Because together we can begin to show the world Jesus, and they can feel the presence of Jesus the way we act with one another and interact with them. They can feel it. It's going to take all of us just to show that much of Christ. It's not going to take one of us. It's going to take all of us because the imprint in our life is the image of God. The imprint in my life is not John. It's Jesus. And John can't feel what only Jesus can feel. And so, people run around their whole lives trying to feel the image of God with everything else, but there's nothing that can feel it like Jesus. So, I just want to pray. They prayed so well, I just want to pray. Where's, where's Dr. McKinney? Where are you? Let's see. Where are you, Dr. McKinney? Let's see. Come on up here. See, pray for me. Can I use this mic? Can I use Christie's? Is that okay, Tanner? Y'all know this is my mentor. He's, 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 he's down from uh, North Carolina. And uh, I really wanted to move to South Carolina. But I've uh, been trying to talk to this family. We got Bachman here, so we got one fifth of you. We just get all the rest of you. So if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, it's your fault. Okay. <laughs> all right, let's pray again. Father, uh, the passage that we read earlier and that, that John referred to earlier in John 1 and in Genesis 1 tell us the, the same thing, the exact same message, that, that you as our God always work 
through your Son, Jesus, and your Spirit, and that the Word and the Spirit together are the power and the wisdom of God at work. And our prayer this morning is that uh, the Word of God preached, this fabulous message of uh, your work in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to yourself, that that, that Word preached would encounter the, the Spirit of God that indwells each one of us so that the chaos in our lives will give way to order, your order, and your rest, and your peace, and your glory. And as John 1 tells us, the glory of God is your presence in our lives, and that's what we need. We need it not only in this place, but we need it in our individual lives, in our families, in our friendships. We need your presence to be known. And so in this moment and in this time together this morning, may the word of God that is preached and the spirit of God that indwells us come together to work to make your presence real in our lives as we walk through this pilgrimage together, longing for the perfect knowledge of our good and gracious God. And so bless us in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He won't tell you how smart he is. He got his PhD and over there in Scotland, Aberdeen, he's a freak. Free. He just got done teaching on the Trinity. If you want to know anything about the Trinity, just ask him. He's, I'm serious. It's amazing to me. Uh, one, of our, one of our football players was looking at another school, and uh, McKinney was talking to him yesterday. He said, oh, why, why are you looking at that other seminary? He said, well, this professor's there. And Dr. McKinney looked at him and said, well, you can either go to that seminary who was my student, or you can come with me who was a teacher. Well, there you go. I mean, he's just it's a blessing and gender and his family, so we're, we're so thankful. Harrison, we're thankful for you that you put up with your brother. I know it's a, it's a prayer. There is a God every day, and so we love that. But you could, only you can take care of Waffle. Uh, and let me who's a stud at So, uh, let's just look at this. So, if victory in Jesus is a pilgrimage for a place, and it's a race, then let me start with this first question. Here, I want to get to something real today. I just want to break it down, so y'all hold me to it. Here we go. The first question is, if, if, if it's not a place, if it's, it's a place I'm trying to get to, but I'm starting from a place, then the question is, without Christ, how did I get in that place? Like, if I'm going to get into the fullness of God one day, how did I get in the place that I'm at? Forgive my English. But how did I get there? Where did I get here? How did I get here in the first place? Not, in other words, crazy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sometimes the, just the junk and the mess that we get in. How did I get in this mess to begin with? How did I get in this place to get this and begin with? And I just want to give you something. First Corinthians 10, 13. You already know it. You don't even need me to say it. But let me just, let me just kind of give you the word of God. No temptation has seized you or gripped you except which is what, saints? Anybody know? Common to man. No temptation has seized you except which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No temptation has seized us has gripped us except which is common to man. And what is common to man? Our wicked hearts. What is common? What makes temptation so powerful in our lives is that our hearts without Jesus Christ are dead and wicked. My born again new heart is always trying to follow Christ. But the flesh inside of me is always trying to kill it. 
the flesh inside of me and the impatience inside of me that produces the anger inside of me and the frustration that happens so quick inside of me. So respond an explosion instead of responding with grace. I respond with an attitude and not with gratitude. I'm taking the mask off and I want more of Jesus. So how do I get in this place? And the way I got in this place is that my heart needs to be changed. And the only way it can change is the Spirit of God who has sealed me and limited me has got to be the Word of God that's going to take chaos and produce something beautiful called Eden. Yes, you are beautiful, Eden. So what is coming to man? My dead, wicked heart. James 1. Let's turn there. James 1. This is all three churches right there. You're going, John, this is, this is wild. Yeah, I'm, I'm breaking a little bit some, some expository rules today, but that's okay. Because I, I, I want to lay this thing down. James 1, 13 through 15. I want us to see something. Grip something. I read a book years ago. Uh, um, worked through this book, part of this book, uh, called Spectacular Sins. It's really a, basically a chapter. No, by Piper. If you, you can download it for free, you can go to desiringgod.org and you can download it. I encourage you to just read this. It's called Spectacular Sins. He's got uh, one of uh, the last chapter, I think, The Suicide of Satan and the Salvation of Our Souls. Breathe. But anyway, I want you to look at John 1 13 through 15. This is good stuff. It says, When tempted, no one should say what saints. Come on. Yeah, we all say, God is tempting me. And here's why God is not the tempter. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the Bible makes it clear. God can't be tempted in evil because in his heart, there is the spirit. In his heart, let me just use uh, anthropomorphic language or human language. Uh, let me just say this. Because in his heart, there is no evil desire. I have an evil desire. And my evil desire is to make sure that I get ahead of you so I feel better about me. Because my flesh says, take care of John and forget everybody else. But the spirit inside of me says, lay down your life for everybody else and God has got you. But I sometimes struggle. And so I get frustrated and angry because I've come from a place like you do where we're always called to give Give and give. And let's just be honest. Ain't many people giving to us. Hmm? Tell the truth, shame the devil. We're the ones who give. And then when we don't give, they get mad at us because we didn't give enough. And then they go over here and they go to some other church or some other place and sit there and run me down because I didn't give them more. The way I look at this place, go on to another place. When you suck them dry, just go on to the next place. Because Jesus has got to be my sustainer. I give it. Look at this. So God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Let's break it down. So here's what happens. It is my heart that needs consistent change. Because until my heart is changed, anything that happens on the end, it's not. Oh, let me just say. Dragged away. I'm going to quote Piper because he can't say that. James is not thinking temptation. Come on, I want you to get this with me. In terms of an object of desire. 
Temptation doesn't come like that. It's not like I'm just, this person wants to sleep with you or wants to watch this video or wants you to go out and just get trapped. It's not the party that causes me to sin. It's my wicked desire that then goes to here and I say I'm going to do it and then I give birth to it. The temptation that comes our way is not the problem. It is my heart that's the problem. James is not thinking of temptation in terms of an object of desire put in front of someone. Note that he does not attribute temptation to Satan, the arch tempter, but to our desire. Look what he says. Let's break it down. When tempted, no one should say God's tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Lord. For example, this is what he writes. Temptation is not pornography on display. Now we had some, so I can say porn. Now in the church I went to, if I grew up, if I said porn, they'd have some like fall out right now. We're doing like this. And, which I'll have to bring on people and CPR. Oh, because you know, if the cameras aren't lit, the Holy Spirit ain't showing up. Anyway. <laughs> but Summit, look, I tell everybody all the time, the greatest people I've ever met in my life. Why? Because now they're at, the ones that were throwing the beer bottles at the bar are now throwing Bibles for Jesus. Work with me, that was good. Temptation is not the pornography on display. Temptation is not the object. Rather, it is the dragging and luring experience in the heart that makes a person look at porn. He is thinking, Scripture, God is thinking of temptation as the engagement of the emotions in the strong desires for evil. So here's what it looks like. Check this out, what he says there in this verse. He says, and I love this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. So my own evil desires, when I take my evil heart and I put it to my evil thoughts, then guess what it does? Then after desire is conceived in my thought, it gives birth to sin. I act on what I've conceived because that was what I wanted in my life. The problem is not the removal of the temptation. The problem is that my wicked heart needs to be removed. Yea, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death doesn't intend me to become so fearful that I blaspheme God because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. When my heart is totally His, there's nothing else that can create a desire in me. Because there's nobody like the song said can do me like Jesus. When my heart is fully Jesus, there's no other desire. When I am full, go to correct as much as I love it, as much as it is the gateway to heaven. What do I mean by that? If you start eating it more, you'll get to Jesus quicker. <laughs> Bourbon Street Chicken is a gift from God. You know what I'm talking about. And then when you look around the room and you see that you're not the most overweight person in there, you feel very good about yourself. And when you have all your teeth, you 
smile. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that when I am full, y'all know that Golden Corral is my favorite place in the world. But when I am full, Golden Corral doesn't pull me over. But when I am empty, So, the first question, how did I get in this place that I need a pilgrimage to Jesus? It's my wicked heart. You see, that is the idea. So the pilgrimage point number two, this is all place, but pilgrimage point number one, how did I get this place? How did I get this place that I need a pilgrimage? My wicked heart. And then you might say, but John, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm born again. My heart. I've got a new heart. Here's the good news. You've got a new heart that can overcome that the callous that still wants to build consistently. So point number two is, how do I get out of this place? We need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The word of the Lord says, I will. I mean, think about it. They're in exile. And God says, listen, even in the middle, when you're the furthest away from me, or you might be under my discipline, I can bring a new heart. And notice what's in there. The new heart also have a, needs to have a new spirit. You see, you can have a new heart, but if it's not filled with God, then you'll fill it with anything else. So some people just get born again, and they're never discipled, and they don't look any different from the world. Why? Because they're filling their lives with spouses and children and money and dreams and finance. But at the end of the day, I want you to know when you're getting ready to meet Jesus, it won't be your wife's hand you need. You need Jesus' hand. Bye. 
The man is quoting, Satan is quoting Psalms. Who cares? Who cares how much power you know? Listen, I just want to be like Peter and John. Listen, they're not, they're not trained, they're not wise, but in Acts chapter 4, the people have to say they've been with Jesus. It's not just what you say, but John, I've been sitting under teaching for years. You grew up under this stuff. You've been with this. That doesn't mean anything. Matthew chapter 13. Have you not read the parable of the souls? The seed is like the word of God, and it falls on a dead, wicked heart, and then the bird of the air comes and takes the seed away, and Jesus says the bird is safe. So it's like you're preaching, and you just fall in this thing. Why?
So our hearts continually wanting to die. Listen, I want you to know, every one of you here, the, all right, some of you scholars, Hebrew scholars, what is the Hebrew word for spirit? That was good. <laughs> Y'all know it. Ruach. It's translated spirit. It's also translated wind. Genesis, John chapter 3. Jesus used the analogy of wind. But it also is translated, right, Professor? Breath. When the Spirit of God leaves our body, that's when we take our last breath. The Spirit of God is breathing. Listen, it's longing to bring life within us. And so what happens here is we have a living word. The reason why it's a living word, because every word is Jesus. It points to Jesus, talks about Jesus. It's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's God-breathed, and it cuts right through the soul and the spirit, right? Divide the soul and the spirit, cuts the joints of man. Man, the word of God, listen, when God shows up, he doesn't need a sword. All he's got to do is speak. When he speaks, everything changes. The heavens flee in his presence, but they are created by his word and spirit. So what happens here, please note, God's word without the Holy Spirit of God working, when those two are not working together, it's still lifeless. So you can hear this word, and it don't mean anything to you, because if it doesn't match the spirit of God, what is the spirit of God always doing? He's reminding us of the words of Jesus. Read John 14. Read John 16. He's reminding you of the words of Jesus. Convicting the Lord of sin in regards to righteousness. On and on and on and on. He's doing this work, pointing everything back to the Trinity. Pointing everything back to the presence of, of the living God. So, the, so what causes me? So I was thinking, what causes this, this temptation to be so strong? And it's my wicked heart. Well, what causes my born-again heart to become callous? My lack of time with God. When I have my, my lack of time really letting God work on me, here's what happens. I know when I have a lack of time with God because of two things. Y'all ready? Here it is. I'm impatient and I'm proud. Show me somebody proud, I'll show you somebody not spending time with Jesus. Show me somebody impatient, I'll show you somebody not depending upon Jesus. Because you see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I didn't hear you. Now, I'm not crazy enough to pray for you. I'm scared. <laughs> Hear me today. Please. So I had to look at my life. I had to take the mask off even further. I had to go deeper. I had to get close into a mirror and say, okay, what is it? What is the difference? What is causing me? What is causing the beginning of a hard heart is pride because our hearts are always in the flesh trying to die. The flesh is trying to suck the life out of the spirit. And the way the, the, the flesh sucks in my heart, sucks the life out of the spirit of God in my heart, is to get me too busy for, for time with God. So I can't be the word of God, God breathing, the spirit of God living within me. The less time I spend with the breath of God, the less time I spend with the living word of God, then all of a sudden my flesh begins to get stronger and suck the life. It's called breathing the spirit. The beginning of a hard heart is proud. Our hearts always want to die. As long as we have the spirit, we have life. And so let's go to Ezekiel 20. So I'll be listening to this. All right, so we're getting ready to land this plane. 
but it's going to be got a little bit more. We're going to do it. So let's talk about the king of Tyre and Satan. This is so good. If you don't get anything else today, I hate when pastors say it. And I'm saying What will bring temptation is my wicked heart. And when my wicked desires meet the meditation on those desires, the only next phase is for me to act. Let me break it down. If I wanted to, I'm just going to use something wicked. If I wanted to use a, a cheat on the net, first it starts here, where I begin to say, you know what? I don't really want to be with her anymore. And then I begin to meditate on it and say, and I begin to look around and say, you know, maybe that lady might talk to me. Though I am ugly, she might have the gift of mercy. And so then I begin to put myself out there. I begin to see with little fingers. But then when, if that opportunity was ever offered, see, the temptation was not in her. The temptation is to be. So how? How did it come about? How does pride, because it's prideful. Pride is always saying, I should have more than what I have. Pride is, I don't want to say it's the opposite of gratefulness, but it is. We're not grateful that we're just alive. We're not grateful, which is what God did. We want more. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go after everything and what we have for the glory of God and become everything he wants us to be because of the glory of God. Because he does have whatever plan he has set before us, whatever race he has set before us, we got to be all in and all out, all for him. But what happens is, is Ezekiel 28. Let's turn there. This is so good. Any of y'all taking Ezekiel? Is that even off of this semester? Is it next semester? Okay, never mind. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. That was close. So, Peter Lincoln, I've been talking about this and just kind of working through it. And you guys, look at verses 1 through 3. So, the king of Tyre is an actual king that was pulling Israel, had pulled Israel away from God. It was a nation. He represented, the king represented a nation. Check this out. This is so good. Come on, John, let's do it. The word of the Lord came to me. All right, Holy Spirit, you got to speak. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre. So it's an actual king of an actual place who represents a nation. This is what the sovereign Lord says. In the pride of your heart, you say what? Talk to me, saints. I'm God. I sit on the throne of God in the heart of the seas. But you are mere mortal and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. Are you wiser than Daniel? To my Daniel the prophet. It's no secret hidden from you. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know the power behind that statement. Are you as good as Daniel? Who Daniel can interpret dreams? He knew all this stuff. He was a kid. He was wise. Are you that? Obviously, the king of time, the answer is no. Look at verse 6. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are wise, as wise as a God, then he basically says, I'm going to destroy you. All right, now, go with me. Now, check this out. Now we see, now he's going to take the king of Tyre and he's going to compare him to Satan. Verse 11, this is where we're going deep. If you like deep stuff, we're going in. Verse 11. Get so excited, I want to turn the page. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and Satan again. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Now he's going to compare him to Satan. 
He's comparing the wicked nation to a wicked creature. You are the seal of perfection. Y'all know that Satan was the highest creature in heaven created. Am I right? Okay. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13. You were in we're saints. You are in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Now we know about the rivers uh, and their, uh, the garden of Eden that led to the garden of Eden. Well, all the precious stones and metals were. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. Right? The cherubs, right? The wings and kind of symbol, the mercy seat, those things. For so I ordain you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Psalm 97. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning is light of the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with knowledge and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian and cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and made a spectacle for peace. Made a spectacle of you before kings. He was cast from the presence of God as a pride. Genesis chapter 3. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. Now the serpent was more crafty, the word there is wise, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, of course the answer to that is he's, he's wrong. He's, he's moving her. He's, he's tempting her. But here's the problem. She's being tempted. But the temptation is not an object. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Must not touch it or you will die. Now, of course, you've got to jack that up and you're not eating. Let's, let's keep going there. I'm going to keep going down to verse 4 and follow. You will not certainly die. Notice the lie. But why does the lie, why does the word of deceit have power over the woman? The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Somebody has pride in their heart. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of tree, uh, fruit of the tree was good for food, and what saints? Listen, the evil desire in her heart that was first brought out through the contemplating of the mind, you will not die. Did God really say? Did God? Did the word of the living God and the living word of God say? Did God say? The evil desire met with the doubt of God and trusting God, so then she acted out on the object. But here's what's interesting. In Genesis chapter 2, the living word of God was given to Adam. He said, this is the garden. You're going to be my king. You're going to rule over it. Rule over the fish. Come on, somebody work with me. Rule over the fish, right? Rule over the birds in the air. You're going to rule over all of it. You're going to cultivate it. You're going to make it better. You're going to be my king. This is the area that I own, and I'm putting you in charge. And by the way, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you a bride. Genesis 2, right? So man leaves his father and mother in place so his wife will become one flesh, right? I'm going to give you a bride. And you are to rule over it. You are to rule over it. You are to rule over it. You see what happened? Adam and Eve sinned because they were not following the living word of God. When the word of God is absent in our life, then temptation will be strong in our life. And so what happens is here, we see, we see Adam and Eve in their weakest moments. Peter Lee would say, when Adam was tested, he was found out he wasn't much. You see, the only way we can be much is the Spirit of God and the living Word of God. He had the living Word of God. But here's what's interesting. Let me just say this. So the serpent was the place of temptation. Are y'all with me? Has anybody tracking me? I know I'm still late. Come in and land it. Was the serpent the place of temptation? All right, now, let me, let me break it down. Here's where we get a little thick. I need you to follow me. The word for serpent in Hebrew is the word nakash. It's translated as serpent. But if you look at the word, and you won't find it in a lot of places, online in some, in some different dictionaries, but it can also be translated nations. A little sale on it can also be translated nations. So why did God allow the serpent in the garden? Because there were nations that needed to be saved. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. So what happens is the word serpent can also be translation. So we see later on in scripture that Israel became the place where the word of God and the presence of God dwelt. Come on, somebody. They had a tabernacle. Right? They had a tabernacle. They had the word of God. The living God was there. And I, they were supposed to come against the nation. But what happened was the nations, the serpent, the nations became a place of temptation and a source of defeat instead of a place of victory. Really deep. The reason why the serpent found God now is in the garden because of the nations that need to be saved. So the people you and I encounter that don't know Jesus. They're either going to be in place of temptation or people who will be saved. Oh gosh. Serpent. 
Now verse 21. Here's an example. We're going to end it with this. Numbers 21. Here's an example. When the word of cost is used again. And you already know the story. So it's sandwiched. The bronze circle is sandwiched in between a Canaanite king and an Amorite king. Nations that were trying to woo the people of God away. You see, it's not enough just to have your Bible. It's not enough just to come to worship. If you don't have the Spirit of God living inside you, matching it with the Word of God, speaking into us externally, it's transforming us internally, we transform by the new year. So when there's not transformation take place, because the presence of God is longing for the Word of God, who is Jesus, to transform us now so that we can pilgrimage into the fullness of His presence. Until that is met, there will be nations, people, that try to take us away from God. And the only way that happens is by working hard. But look what happened in the middle of verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along, and by the way, the worship band can come along here. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew what, saints? Impatience is a warning sign of a hardened heart. Is anybody tracking me? If you're impatient today and want it now, then what you're wanting is an answer more than the God who has the answer. Everybody on this earth, unless Jesus come back, is going to do what? I didn't hear you. God didn't promise us about He promised us we'd be one. And you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Martyrdom comes in different ways, does it not? It's not always somebody coming to hell. Martyrdom comes in a lot of ways. But we submit to the will of the Father. You'll be my witnesses. He didn't promise us about He promised us to be for God who said that, but it's really good. So they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea and grew, uh, to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. They said, why did you call us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. In other words, God's got them in a place where it looks really bad. It looks really hopeless. Now, here it is, the test of the heart. The test of the heart. Am I going to look to what the other nations have so I can be like them, or am I going to look to Jesus? And the Lord sent venomous nakash, serpents, snakes, among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the nakash away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a nakash and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze nakash and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by nakash and looked at the bronze nakash, they lived. Isn't it interesting that the thing that was crucified on the pole was the one thing that was going to bring them life? 
Joseph looked at his brothers. Sold him to slavery. We're going to kill him. But you meant for harm, he said. God meant for good. The very thing that was going to be the place of their death, God defeats and makes it a place of life. Jesus Christ took death. Isn't this the same snake? on a pole that you see in the medical field? Huh? Are y'all looking over crazy? Yeah. Isn't this the whole credit oath? Isn't that the same snake? Isn't that where the idea, all right, doesn't retain where it came from? You see, it's not the serpent that's going to bring you life. It's that when Jesus destroyed the serpent on the pole that's going to bring you life. And today, I want to ask you a question. Does anybody in here need a word from God? Because you might be growing a little impatient. Does anybody need a little word from Jesus? Because the Spirit of God right now, I know you're thinking right now, I ain't going up there. See, people call me manipulation at this point. They call me what they want. I'm just going to call myself obedient. might be feeling, I don't know. If you're growing impatient, I believe Jesus has a word for you. And when you submit yourself to the Lord, and you just say, God, whatever it is, I'm going to run. Listen, I'm going to pilgrimage because I know I'm going to get to the place. Because you know what? Now I don't have to fight for victory. I'm coming from a place of victory. And so I can walk through anything you want me to want to go through. Because I know that my God has crucified whatever might come against me. Because I am dead to the flesh and I am dead to temptation because of Jesus Christ living in me. And though I might not sin, it won't stay. Because in my house, in this house, there can only be one owner, and that's Jesus Christ. So today, a little patient. Take your mask off. Don't stop for a second. It's Ginger. Can I borrow you? A hero, can I borrow you? Come on, Steve. Can I borrow you? I want to borrow you today. Oh, we're going to get real right now. We're going to get real. Bring in the band, brothers. Alright, I got a band on. Let's all pray for Harrison. See Harrison right there? With his hat on, he's looking all GQ, you know he's got the C shoe hat on us. Harrison's on the second stint. Looking. See he's had a rough go. Come on up here, I want y'all up here. Young man. He's had a rough go. Let me tell you something, Harrison. You stood on that field yesterday, you don't want no part of that wheelchair. You won my heart. And though your knees hurt, and I saw you in that wheelchair, and I saw your knees shaking, and your mom giving you those pain meds, I'm just going to tell you something. I was ready to take on anybody. Won my heart. Because you're a fighter. But you know, sometimes when we get fight, we get tired. I'm going to bring you over here. I'll tell you what, because my wife saw it. I want us to pray for you. I want us to pray for you. Now, where's my elders and deacons? Come on. 
I just want to pray over them. The music we're going to pray over you. This is for you, Harrison. For you, Lachlan. For you, Blakely. We're going to just pray over them. The house. I'm going to tell you, we're going to get real today. We're going to take the mask off. We're going to get real. I can't imagine the impatience of a family. I, you know, Harrison, I love the thing that you and Peyton Manny had, the little ESPN thing they did, you know, where you've been everywhere. You've been at Old Miss and, and NC State. I mean, every place and every team in the country loves you, but I love you because you love CSU. But I want to pray over them because they're fighting. And there are nations and lifestyles in the world that says this shouldn't be right. And their hearts are constantly battling. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God rules so mightily that though they can be angry at God, they just submit to God. And Harrison, I want you to know that this prayer is for you, and your brother, and your sister, and for them. And while I'm praying for them, if there's anybody in this room that's impatient, I want you to come on. Yeah, you go lay hands on there. I should have asked. Parental permission. But if anybody in this room is impatient, you want to come down? Because we're going to pray, and they're going to play over us. See what God says. There's some bands. I asked them to bring them. You know, we're not about money and something to look at us. I mean, I'm wearing corduroys for Pete's sake. But I want them to put some of those out there. Because here's why I'm asking. If you want to buy one, I don't even know. Or just put any money. I can't imagine their medical costs. I can't imagine. Come on, God, let's get it done. 
sometimes, God, we might just get there. I'm not saying they're there, but I know where I would be. So, Lord, I just want to pray for them. That we don't want by might, we don't want by power, but we want by your spirit. And so I'm going to pray, Lord, that your spirit of God is working so mightily in them. I just want to pray the word of God over them. I just want to pray the word of God. Because only the word of God matches the spirit of God can do mighty things. So since you can do immensely more than we can ask or imagine, since you're the one that even death has to flee, since you are the one that rose from the grave, since you are the one who causes the dead to life and the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf hear, since you are the one, then this is my prayer for them and this whole body. Christ, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Since he is the one, his name is Jesus. I ask you, Lord, to show mercy. I ask you that mercy triumphs over judgment. I ask you, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I ask you, Lord, for a miracle. I ask you for strength. I ask you for courage. I ask you that you would send many people around them that speaks life and hope and the promises of God. So Lord, when our eyes want to fail, we look to Jesus. So we do pray Psalm 126 that becomes our prayer. And here it is. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for thee. May he do a great thing. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Najee. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is our prayer in the name that leads us straight to the presence of the Father. In the name that causes death to life. In the name that radically changed our life.